Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear about it. So come join us on the V6 Buzz and we can chat about what you got working. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffin and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to talk about IPv4 as a service. I know this is the IPv6 buzz, but still, we're going to talk about IPv4 as a service and, and really sort of talk about uh, what exactly IPv4 as a service is and maybe how you would leverage it in a, in a V6 network. Um, so I guess we probably should define what the heck IPv4 as a service actually is uh, to make sure that we're all sort of on the same page uh, around that. I don't know. Do we want to take a crack at... at as sort of describing what we sort of think of IPv4 as a service actually is. Because I guess technically, like, you know, V4 as a service could happen over a V4 network, which we just call VPNs, right? <laughs> right. Or you could just call, you could just assert that your IPv4 network is IPv4 as a service. Yes. Yes, you can do that. <laughs> You're <laughs> you done. Do so that. we're done here. We can, we can just uh, finish this episode now. We could just, we just move along. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think um, there's a lot of use cases where potentially if you're running maybe like a V6 only network or you're running a dual stack network, but you need to provide IPv4 services to some endpoint that may be a V6 only endpoint. Yeah. Um, you're trying to you're trying to sort of solve that problem space. And I guess maybe history helps here a little bit. I mean, because I think uh, I'm, I'm old enough to remember Deutsche Telekom's uh, TerraStream initiative. And so I think that started out like back in the 2012 timeframe where it was like, let's do this IPv4 as a service in this model in a uh, service provider network that has an IPv6 uh, core. And I think in that case, mm -hmm. was it IPv6 only? I'm trying to remember if it, I don't know that they ever got to IPv6 only. I think it might've had like some remnants of IPv4 still running so that, that it, you could probably technically call it dual stack, but I don't know. I'm, I'm over my skis here because I don't, I don't remember all the details, but that was sort of maybe a, one of the earliest implementations that I can recall of IPv4 as a service in a service provider core backbone that was running IPv6. Of course, we're not limited yeah. to that with these days with IPv4 as a service because it's showing up in other places as well. Yeah, but that's, you're right, Tom, that's the motivation. If, if a service provider could run a single protocol v V6 in the core of their network, then they remove dependencies on scarcity of, you know, even private IPv4 address space inside of their environment. But the reality is they still have to support customers and services on the internet that are still tied to IPv4, you know, only. Mm -hmm. And so they need to take, they need methods to take those customer V6 connections, transport them over their V6 only core and dump them out on the IPv4 legacy internet and they can do that in a variety of different ways. I guess they could encapsulate, you know, the V4 packets in some way and make it look like it's a tunnel or, mm -hmm. or do some maybe translation, I guess, could also be an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess, I guess really what we're doing is connecting islands of V4 together, right? So mm -hmm. that they can communicate uh, as you see fit. And obviously we do this in, in different ways in service providers. So some service providers are, provide this as a private service, right? So... Uh, you that's you're only connecting v4 connectivity for the specific you know customer that actually requires it and may not connect to the you know the general v4 internet but you're still providing ipv4 as an overlay as a service right mm -hmm. so it's basically like a virtual a virtual routing forwarding instance or like a, a vrf of some type right 
that you provide or some sort of VPN context like a, a VPLS or MPLS sort of configuration, but you're basically just doing it with IP protocol instead. Right. So, so those are all derivations, but effectively what you're providing is end-to-end V4 transport across a V6 network is really sort of how I see it. Obviously, you could provide it across some other type of network, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure of what, what other sort of IP networks people are building. You know, I guess you could do IPv4 as a service over an IPX network <laughs> you wanted to. Yeah. yeah, you encapsulate your V4 packets, send them over your banyan vines. But Am I obligated now to, to list a historical outdated routed protocol? Let's go. Okay, DECnet, how's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You, you lost the opportunity to pitch your SNA chops, and, and <laughs> I never had but, those. <laughs> we, could, we could chop up the IPv4 packets really small and stick them in ATM cells. <laughs> oh yeah, fifty-three bytes, baby. Uh, ATM lane, there, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess from the standpoint of the end user with IPv4 as a service, though, I mean, I you know, the, the, with like say MPLS overlays in the service provider core, you know, you, you got to goes into and you got to goes out of for the enterprise, and right. they, they don't really they don't really know what's going on, like what sort of mm-hmm. voodoo is happening on the service provider network. You know, it's MPLS, maybe it's six PE as an example. Um, right. So, so I guess it's probably not that interesting from an enterprise standpoint. So what are like, what are some of the enterprise environments where IPv4 as a service might show up? Well, I think that's a great question. And in terms of thought process, I think enterprises are going to become more interested in IPv4 as a service as they try and connect disparate sets of services within their environment. And they may be going to uh, consideration of of V6 only portions of their network uh, to solve particular problems or they're doing peering in a, in a given location that maybe have v6 only available and then they need to pr- provide some sort of v4 as a service overlay on top of it and it may not just be host to host which you could accomplish with a vpn it may have to be network to network in which case you're trying to do something more sophisticated within your network design than just a single laptop vpn you know using a vpn endpoint on, on v6 to be able to get to a you know enterprise server and then just provide you know v4 as a as a protocol inside the vpn tunnel so i think there's a little bit more sophistication that might be required there in terms of stitching that stuff together and this might even happen in like something use case scenarios like uh maybe like sd-wan mm-hmm. almost sort of considered like sd-wan could almost be like an ipv4 as a service depending on how you're deploying it if you've only got v6 from your service providers right mm-hmm. so even though you may not even be running v6 at your site deployment v6 is what's at the edge and that's how you get back to where you want to go right yeah yeah there could be there could also different different techniques of v4 as a service could also fall into you know either doing translation you know between the customer v4 to a v6 connection and then retranslating it back from a v6 connection that's just gone across the service provider or, or enterprise backbone back into a V4 connection, maybe in the mm-hmm. data center or out on the internet. Right. And the, the, or the, it could be uh, a tunnel, as you described. I guess the other differentiation or the other characteristic of these methods could be whether it's done statelessly or statefully. If yeah, that's a really Some type point. of translation is done statelessly, then it could be very fast and it could scale quite well on running on just a router or a firewall or something like that in terms of CPU performance or utilization. Right. But then but then it's maybe likely to break certain applications that do 
need some state or need some fix-ups of yep. addressing and the header structure. If it's stateful, it's it takes a little bit more CPU resources and, and may work better with some applications, but you have a performance trade-off there. Right. And I, I think the stateful stuff has a tendency to require more symmetry in the mm -hmm. In, in the network versus oh, maybe yeah. stateless could be a little bit more asymmetric in terms mm -hmm. of in terms of routing configuration is assuming that you're using like maybe if you're using something like uh you know mptv6 right to, mm -hmm. you could you could use something like that or something similar um and then uh, to your point scott around the sort of the v4 translation side i mean mobile networks are doing this today right with with you know, with 464 XLAT, where mm -hmm. a host device is basically able in a stateless way to be able to allow an application that maybe has V4 dependent services in it to be able to go ahead and do their thing. But it, they're on a V6 only network, mobile provider right. network, but then there's a translation service in the core of the mobile provider network to get it out to the V4, V4 internet to go reach the service that it needs to. So that's that sort of first use. I think that was the first use case that you sort of brought up. Mm -hmm. So I mean that's there's there's actually technically no reason that a enterprise couldn't do this except for the fact that they don't necessarily have all the same tools in their in their tool bag uh, mm -hmm. to be able to solve that problem. We talked about that a little bit in previous episodes about sort of needing a CLAT and a and a PLAT side and needing needing access capability in a way to trigger it. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's there's a couple of things that need to happen there in order for all that to work. Uh, it's just it's uh, some magic sauce. Uh, well, what about uh, what about using IPv4 as a service in, say, a data center environment on the enterprise side? Um, you know, where I'm running, say, uh, yeah, VXLAN, EVPN, uh, V6, and Ooh, only in the yeah. underlay, and then I'm right. I'm actually using IPv4 as a service on top of that. As you know, like uh, I, I would think maybe that's yeah the most likely architecture that could you know you could deploy in an enterprise environment. Um, yeah, that, that that's would a make great sense point. to. Yeah, that's a great point because you could totally run if you're trying to get to like v6 only or you're trying to reduce the impact of what you're consuming to operate your network from a v4 perspective because you're that short running v4 as a service on top of you know these core fabric ethernet fabric solutions makes a lot of sense to be able to do that and then you could run v4 you could run dual stack you could run v6 only whatever you wanted to run on top because those are just those are just you know a slice of the overall ethernet fabric in terms of capabilities right they're just an mm -hmm. overlay so you can run as many overlays in theory as as, as you can support with you know vxlan numbering right yeah, so yeah it's kind yeah. of funny because you know we we give tunneling a bunch of grief related to the fact that it's always oh, we use it all over the <laughs> yeah right it's always it been all a, over the place <laughs> it's always been a solution in the past with v6 it's like well you know tunnel tunnel where you must Right. And then it's like now, yeah. like, let's get, let's get rid of the tunnels altogether if we can, like all the tunnel protocols that are lying around. But then, of course, you know, like VXLAN, VPN, it's just like hyper converged, like dynamic tunneling at, at line speed, basically. I mean, I, that's maybe a cruddy description, but, but isn't it, isn't it really just a, you know, a bunch just, of just, tunnels? Just move, just move the tunnel to the next layer down in yeah. the OSI model. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But so yeah. is this so is this a feasible architecture then? Like from a hardware standpoint, if I you know if I've got a data center full of Cisco gear or Arista, is this something I can do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could do that today. I mean, we're you know, there's there's documented you know configuration guides and and other things that are available to actually go out and build that as a solution. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it's definitely doable. I, I I guess I question whether I call that I 
I guess in my head, do we call that IPv4 as a service or do we just call that run whatever networking protocol you require in the overlay um, and you just build however many you require? Um, I guess I've never really thought of it in my head as describing it as IPv4 as a service, but I guess technically it is. I guess, I guess the important thing is what problem are you trying to solve? Maybe sort of defines a little bit about whether it's IPv4 as a service and maybe from the aspect of like uh, enterprise networking person, you're sort of like, well, it's just an overlay and I don't really care about it. I don't mm -hmm. think of it that way. Versus maybe if I'm an application person, I probably think of it more as like, I need to connect my V4 host to an IPv4 service. And so I need to get some way across this network. Yeah. And they're providing me either a stateless method or a stateful method. Like maybe I have a proxy service or I've got some other way to, to get from one point to the other. And I guess, to me, that fits more in the like as a service sort of category where yeah. someone else is maintaining, owning, and controlling those translation technologies is not on my plate. It's on someone else's plate. Therefore, it's as a service. I don't know. Yeah. Is that a reasonable yeah, I think answer? So, yeah. 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 I think I think there's two reasons why a service provider and enterprise would want to do this. One, reduced operational or administrative burden by only running a single protocol in the core. Right. And simplification. Uh reduced overhead you know mm -hmm. every time you have to go and deploy a new site just give it a v6 address you know to provision it both mm -hmm. and the second benefit i think is you know address scarcity because with these v4 as a service techniques as if you're a service provider you can give all of your subscribers the same ipv4 prefix you could give every subscriber could have 192 1.0 Mm -hmm. 24 and because they're the secret out <laughs> <laughs> and because they're all differentiated in you know by the ipv6 tunnel they're in on the you know in, in encapsulated in those that ipv6 address is used for the tunnel endpoints is unique it's global right <laughs> global right. address space and there's a, an abundance of it and then you backhaul those subscribers with differentiated v4 addresses to some centralized you know broadband gateway system that does that one-time nat function yep. and you're also only doing NAT once you're not having to nat at the subscriber and nat again in the provider's core you only nat once in the on the cgn <laughs> large-scale nat carrier grade nat system at the provider's core only once and so address scarcity and I guess reducing administrative costs would be two benefits or that's the yeah, reason and there, I, <laughs> yeah and then the, in addition to dovetail off of your last point there are different ways to solve that like map t and map e solve that problem slightly differently mm -hmm. right and push that onto the cpe device to manage mm -hmm. those sort of translation tables which means there's less state in the network mm -hmm. for the provider so if you're losing particular devices or portions of the network, it's really only impacting those individual subscribers and not necessarily a wider audience due to like a CGN, the uh, CGN problem, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that, that there, you can sort of reduce the know, blast radius or whatever, whatever yeah. terminology you want to use in terms of impact zone. But like I said, if things are stateful, then you want to push those stateful processes to locations in your architecture where you have abundant CPU resources, and that would be yeah. the source host or a, a carrier grade net system that has an abundance of cpu <laughs> cpu resources but right. not try and do it on 
little routers in the middle of the network that may have emaciated little processors, <laughs> you know, not a lot of CPU <laughs> capability. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. I mean, um, I guess we sort of talked through like organizationally, like how, how some of this sort of stuff plays out, but, and, and I don't know if it, it seems to make sense to me, at least for many organizations that they might want to leverage IPv4 as a service just to be able to solve the, some of the translation related problems of maybe applications that have really tied down v4 requirements right like yeah. where you're like i'm stuck with this v4 thing i can't really move it i can't really change it they haven't provided me any other mechanism to be able to to sort of migrate what the service is and you may still have other translation services operating within your network that don't really touch the ipv4 as a service because they're just designed to allow ipv6 resources to get like outbound to the mm -hmm. outside world on v4 and and so it's really strange. You're running two different sets of translation technologies. One is for the purpose of V4 to V4 connectivity. The other one is the purpose of V6 to V4 connectivity, and then the reverse, V4 to V6 connectivity. Yeah. <laughs> so you're basically running like maybe a, a several sets of different services for different tiers and different levels of applications that run within your environment. So you're leveraging different different areas. And we've talked in the past about leveraging like you know server load balancers or application delivery controllers, or leveraging you know. Uh, you know, DNS 64 and NAT 64, but IPv4 as a service is a little different because you're trying just trying to get v4 resources to talk to other v4 resources, right? Yeah. But but you've got this v6 only sort of dependency somewhere within the network, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be everywhere, but somewhere, and so you have to be able to overcome that. And so IPv4 as a service is really there to address that particular use case, right? Yeah, you pull vault over the IP, <laughs> IPv6 only moat. Right, <laughs> it's around your application or around the the client. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, and so, uh, hopefully, this makes sense to the audience in terms of like where where you would use these different sets of technologies within your network to solve different specific problems in terms of how you're thinking through your design and and thinking through v6 and v6 only and yeah. dual stack. Yeah, it's almost like if you have if you have a greenfield opportunity to deploy an IPv6 only network then you're 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 probably looking ahead to to what IPv4 as a service, you know, what that architecture is going to look like and and how to leverage it. Mm -hmm. You know, most folks are not in that situation. They have it's very brownfield and it's, you know, an existing IPv4 network and maybe there's some dual stack and and then, you know, the other two uh, architectural solutions to IPv6 to IPv4 connectivity, you know, where you're not dual stack is, is as you mentioned, DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4, or server load balancing. Yeah, because that is a requirement. Having ubiquitous v6 connectivity across their core is a requirement for some of these techniques. Yes. Which gets to the weird thing of like, you might see like IPv4 as a service with v6, v6, with v4 in the core, and you're jumping across the v4 with a network tunneled IPv6 overlay solution. <laughs> But then supporting before at the edge, like I'm sure there's like different sandwiches that we could make of all this yeah. stuff in combination. You're running it across an MPLS network with LDP that only yes. uses IPv4. <laughs> yes. Like there's these weird dependencies that you get into where you're like, this is just weird architecturally about like all the things. Yeah. And if you're oh, if we're lucky, we'll have a few bits left over for payload. Yeah. <laughs> in networking, there's nothing you can't solve with another level of abstraction. Yes. <laughs> or encapsulation. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, uh, more encapsulation is better because it's a Russian <laughs> Russian nesting dolls is the, is the solution mm -hmm. for all things. Mm -hmm. Job security. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think we could, I think we sort of covered it, but I, I I thought it was an important thing to sort of bring up because I think there are going to be more and more use cases around IPv4 mm -hmm. as a service becoming yeah. um, 
uh, cropping up for folks. And there are some other translation technologies. I, I guess we should mention like SIT is is one. There's other mm -hmm. there's other um, older some more service providers. You know, I guess DS Lite and Six RD and other 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 things that are out there to solve some of the same sort of problem space. But I wouldn't say they're necessarily something that an enterprise would leverage. I don't know if that's a fair statement. Maybe yeah. SIT. But I think 6RD and DS Lite are very much in the enterprise, are in the mm -hmm. uh, service provider space, not the enterprise space. Right. Yeah. And and that's just that's just a gut feeling. And if the audience feels differently and they want to yell us down about that one, uh, give us give us feedback. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> we got that completely wrong. Yeah. You could do GRE over IPv6. <laughs> yes. You absolutely could. Or Geneva or what have yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Totally. I don't know. I, I think I think that I think that one sort of wraps it up and covers it. Um, so you know, hey, unlike V6, we run out of space for this podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz, and you can also hit up uh, each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at E Horley. Uh, thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at packetpushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.